Welcome to this week's episode of Unfortunately Required Reading. Today, we are reading uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead by Tom Stoppard. Yay! I did it. <laughs> Do you want to address the housekeeping? Do you want to give the, the good news? I will give the good news. Uh, we will be at MizumiCon in San Antonio. Uh, we'll be doing our very first live show. And I'm very excited. Uh, our current time is 1 o'clock on April 4th. I will... Uh, we'll get this on social media as soon as possible. But uh, thank you to MizumiCon for letting us in. Uh, I'm anxious, but excited. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be at the San Antonio... Sorry, San Antonio. It's a long story, It's a guys. very long story. Northwest Marriott, located at 3233 Northwest Loop 410, San Antonio, Texas, 78213. I just found a box cutter. I was like, what, are you going to cut me? No, I did because I say San Antonio? No, I just... <laughs> I just found a box cutter. I don't know how to make it go back down. Here. Yeah, it took me a long time. This is Mark's, and I, like, kidnapped it. <clears throat> All right. So apparently I truly am the Hannibal. You know what the best part about this is? We haven't even started drinking yet. Yeah. Like, normally we, like, taste test it, but we didn't even touch it yet. Yeah, we've just been talking for 15 minutes. So, um... Today, in honor of uh, Stoppard's history, we're drinking a Darjeeling milk punch, mm -hmm. which has brandy Darjeeling tea and a lot of half and half, so. That's a lot of brandy, but I'm not mad at it. So we were all worried because we only had three ounces of brandy instead of four. Three I ounces was more than enough. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. Whew. That's... Good milk punch? That's good milk punch. Yeah, uh, apparently Stoppard spent some time as a child in the Darjeeling uh, part of India. So I figured Darjeeling tea was on the menu. We also have, and very, very special shout out to Jake at Whole Foods for recommending two cheeses. They're both triple creams. We have a Delice and we have a uh, San Angel. Uh, triple creams are good for milk punch because it just enhances the decadence. And I went rogue and decided we're going to do a rosemary sourdough loaf. I did not get the fight me loaf. It smells so good, though. So please. Amanda goes, hey, let's use the broiler and toast some bread. My husband yells, well, why don't you just use the toaster? You know why? Because we're bougie, y'all. Yeah, it's also a little bit faster. It is a little bit faster. It smells it's really a, good. It's a smidgen faster, so... Please dig in. Can I steal this? By all means. Because I know that you are the upper crust now that I know where that came from. It comes from uh, what part of the bread that you like. If you like soft, squishy uh, white bread that tends to not have a ton of crust on it, that usually means that you're petite bourgeoisie or bourgeoisie. So I'm going for the Delice, which uh, our attendant at Whole Foods said that was his favorite. I also referred to it as dummy thick with three C's. <laughs> Did you just really say dummy thick with three C's? I did. It's delicious. <laughs> I'm keeping you. Oh, thank you. That's a delight. It is really good. I'm so glad that I got the sourdough rosemary. It's like salty. It is. Like me. Like us. Like the two of us together. I'm eating away from the microphone. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. I'm far from angry. I'm so glad that I got... I'm, I was really anxious about the rosemary. I'm so glad that I made this decision. It's good. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, normally I'm not a big rosemary person just because it tends to be a lot of it in things, but this is just like just the right amount. So thank you, Jacob Whole Foods. Your suggestion has so far been well met. Mm-hmm. When we dip into the San Angel, though, this could all go to hell. 
<laughs> I mean, I hope not, though. I hope not either. Sorry, I grabbed the other knife. Oh, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me. No, never. <laughs> I mean, I have a question. I have anxiety. <laughs> I have a question. Which one of us is Rosencrantz and which one of us is Guildenstern? Well, with how often they kind of get mixed up and confused. Okay, but can canonically, there's two. And reading the book, one is more serious and, opti and one is more optimistic. I think Rosencrantz is the one with the coin, yeah? Yes. That's that's me. Okay. I'm the Guildenstern. That's fine. I, I, I don't think about being in a box. Like, the whole thing of like, do you ever, do, you ever do this? I mean, me me neither. I, I would never do that. Um, Now I'm going to panic myself about something. I guess I'm the serious one. I'm the Guildenstern. You're the one who's like, why are you an idiot? <laughs> 100%. No! 100%. Oh you, my god, okay. You look at me and are like, why are you doing this? Fine. What What is wrong with you? I'm, I'm, I am the Guildenstern. That's fine. This cheese is good too. Yes, the San Angel is good. Good job, Jake at Whole Foods. You have impressed me. Delicious Crunch. Our, our secondary podcast. Delicious Crunch is yeah. our segment. Yeah, the, the, the segment where I go into cheese tasting notes. Oh... Whoa. Whoa, computer. Calm we apologize down. for that noise. You ready to short story long? I am ready to short story long. I believe in you. I don't. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Let me swallow this real quick. That's what she said. Why is she talking with her mouth full? That's rude. Short story long. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern wander through a featureless land, tossing a coin. It keeps coming up heads. They have a whole discussion about how weird that is. Rosencrantz keeps flipping the coin. Guildenstern wonders if they are in a place where laws of chance and time don't matter. They can't remember why they are traveling and only that a messenger called them. They run into some actors called the tra Tragedians or Tragedians. Tragedians. The leader, the player, indicates that they are willing to do sexy stuff and the guys can participate for money. Guildenstern offers a bet to the player but the player says he can't really pay them. Guildenstern asks for a play instead. Rosencrantz reveals privately to Guildenstern that when they tossed the coin, it actually landed to ales up. Gasp. Suddenly, they are in Elsinore Castle from Hamlet. They see Hamlet and Ophelia walking off in opposite directions. Claudius mistakes the two men's identities, but Rosencrantz and Guildenstern... Uh, but then sends them to find out what's wrong with Hamlet. There we go. Good job. I'm very proud of you. From here on out, I'm just going to call them RNG because I'm lazy. Okay. I'm not going to fight you. <clears throat> you can see where I stopped typing and caring. Okay. <laughs> RNG are confused and discuss how they might figure out how, why Hamlet is crazy. They play a game of question and answer, but they get even more confused about their own identities. Goldenstern says he'll pretend to be Hamlet, so Rosen. Kranz can question him. I still use their name. They come up with the fact that Hamlet is upset about the death of his father, and Claudius has taken the throne. They overhear Hamlet speaking riddles to Polonius. RNG get thrown off by a speech by Hamlet. Polonius shows up to tell Hamlet the tragedians, or tragedians, whatever, tragedians. have arrived. RNG are upset about how little they figured out about Hamlet's mental state. Can't figure out if he's nuts. He's not. Sorry. And the funny thing is they figured out why he's mad. So, yeah. Hamlet, Polonius, and the the T's enter declare that they will be doing a play the next day. Hamlet walks out and RNG discuss the with the players what happens after death. Yes, they do. Very briefly. 
RNG explains to Claudius and Gertrude, Polonius, and Ophelia that Hamlet wants them to go to a play tomorrow. Hamlet enters when the group leaves, but doesn't notice RNG, so he starts wondering about whether or not he should kill himself. Ophelia comes in praying, and after a short conversation, she and Hamlet leave. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so much brandy. One of the players arrives dressed as Gertrude. I think it's Alfred, right? I believe so. The other tragedians come in to Tragedian. rehearse the play. Tragedians! I will eventually get it. The play mimics how Claudius rose to power. Ophelia comes in during rehearsal crying with Hamlet running after her, telling her to become a nun. Hamlet leaves. Claudius and Polonius enter and leave with Ophelia. The player explains the tragedy of the play and discusses whether can ever death can ever truly be represented on the stage before all goes black. In the darkness, voices indicate that Claudius has been very disturbed by the play. The next scene shows Claudius and Gertrude asking RNG to find Hamlet since he killed Polonius. They come up with a plan to trap Hamlet with their belts, but Hamlet comes from the other direction with Polonius's body and they completely miss him. Yes, they do. RNG calls after Hamlet, or uh, they call after Hamlet, but he won't say what he did with the body. Hamlet tells RNG that they are Claudius's tools and leaves as Claudius enters, but is brought back with a guard. The scene moves outdoors, and R and G and G tells R they have to take Hamlet to England. Oh my gosh, I'm a mess today. You're doing great. <clears throat> Hamlet arrives with a soldier, and they depart. Suddenly, they're on a ship to England. I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. Sorry. And wondering if they are actually dead. Hamlet is sleeping nearby. They read Claudius's letter, which says that Hamlet is going to be executed in England, and they try to figure out what to do. Hamlet then switches the letter with the one he wrote, which is upsetting. The next morning, RNG hear music from a barrel or some barrels, and the tragedians 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 emerge before pirates charge the ship. Yes, all jump into barrels as the lights go off. You're doing great. When the lights come back up, Hamlet is gone. Shocking with the pirates. RNG and the players come out of the barrels and practice what they will say to the English king. G discovers the letters say that they're going to be executed in despair. G stabs the player and he falls down dead. However, everybody else claps as the player rises. He says that the death was mediocre because the knife was a prop. It's always a fucking prop. The player talks about the different deaths that they can perform. The light shifts and RNG are alone on the stage and lament how they failed to change their fate. The light changes as the bodies of Claudius, Gertrude, Hamlet, and Laertes are there. Horatio shows up to declare the final speech for the play Hamlet. Whew. End play. Yeah, I was going to say end scene, but we're done. I'm eating this cheese. How dare you? I feel like I earned myself some cheese. You did. Uh, the stage direction for that would be a exunt, which comes from the plural of exit, which means all leave. Or in a winter's tale, exunt followed by bear. Which is my favorite. Exit, the best. exit followed by a bear. It's amazing. <laughs> it's it's the best. Uh, so that was a lot. It is a lot. That was a lot. And not just the brandy in this cup. It's kind of amazing, too, because it's a little bit like Hamlet fan fiction. It is. It, it's literally, it, it's like Grindel. It's let's take some side characters that don't matter and give them depth, but not really. I'm actually getting ready to read a book about Mary Bennett. Okay. From Pride and Prejudice, which I'm really excited about. Because I'm like, Mary's just doing her best, all. You're, anyway. a, you're a soft Mary apologist. I am a soft Mary apologist. I mean, we spoke pretty highly of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern when we discussed Hamlet. Is it because I had read this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. 
There's a lot of themes. There's a shocking amount of themes. So many themes. Uh, Let's start with art versus reality. So the entire concept of having a play that can then mimic or bring forward feelings. Are you very excited about the bread and cheese? I just did a happy cheese dance. You just did a little shoulder shrug like in Black Panther. I'm so proud. Um, And the idea that art can really affect people like that so the whole going back to hamlet where we're gonna do a play and that's gonna show guilt which i still think is stupid i'm sorry i think it's stupid because again if we're judging based on like reactions during a performance then i should be in jail is this like where i'm gonna get in trouble for saying like every time that um kanye west says something about taylor swift and then she releases a song about kanye west yeah. I mean, you're not going to get in trouble because it's just a fact. Okay. <clears throat> like, you're not going to get in trouble. You're, it's just a fact. And remember, facts should not cause canceling. Yup. I got canceled a couple of weeks ago by people who care a lot about guinea pigs. Like, absurdly. We are going to be talking about absurdity, and I feel like that works in there, too. It does. And the idea that art can't capture death i think is fascinating because i know like at least for me as a kid uh art was one of the first things that helped me understand death and dying so this whole idea that like oh well you're only playing a death like well i mean but playing is about as close as any of us are going to get until we get there and there's a ton of references throughout the play indicating that rosencrantz and guildenstern are going to be dead by the end of it Mm -hmm. there's and in the film, too, they do an incredible job of capturing that. They even have, like, two people hanging at one The film is so part. good. Oh, my God, it's so good. We're going to talk about that later. Um, um, but, yeah, it, it's it's this very much, like, this is what's happening, but also we're going to show you it in art and beat you over the head with it. It actually kind of reminded me a little bit of um, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, mm. where it's like, have they been dead this entire time? Because it's just so, like, surreal and weird. Um, which brings us into absurdity. There is a ton of just, like, absurdity in this, and it's usually veiled in humor, in humor that isn't always very funny. Um, This feels like a very, very bad Monty Python sometimes. Oh, how many times that, like, Guildenstern will say something to Rosencrantz, like, hey, I need you to do this thing. And And then he has no concept of what's actually happening. zero. And it's weird, because, like, they're never really alluded to as, like, that dumb in Hamlet. Like, they're, I mean, at that point... It's hard to judge anyone's intelligence in Hamlet because you're meant to think that Hamlet is the smartest and most capable person, (laughs) which I know. (laughs) Hamlet is meant to be the divining rod you measure against. Shocking. Or Fortinbras, but we don't meet him until late. I think I would probably have an affair with Fortinbras. Hello, nowhere. Hello, nowhere. Where did that come from? (laughs) I don't know. He seems like the smart one in the group. I would lay with either Rosencrantz or Guildenstern. (laughs) Or both, hopefully. At the same time? Yes. I mean, just become one of the players, man. Yeah, totally. I would I would, I would, would lay with either of them, or both of them, simultaneously. And then you'd make some money. I would. Okay, that's called prostitution. Well, Alfred <laughs> has to do it. He doesn't like it. I would at least pretend to like it. I like how many times Alfred's like, hey, I don't like this, I don't want to do this anymore. And they're like, oh, you're funny. No, you silly boy. Consent doesn't matter. Just kidding. It absolutely matters a lot. It absolutely matters. Um, so that's absurdity. There's a lot of, uh, weird stuff that happens in here. It almost borders on surreal, which is a word that people throw around a lot, but doesn't really mean what you think it means. 
Surreal actually just means like strange to the point that it almost doesn't make sense. Like a sunset can be surreal if it's like a color that you're not expecting. But like I doubt that anyone's cheeseburger is surreal. Not usually. If it is, we need to have a conversation. About food safety? And about acid. <laughs> about what drugs you're taking. <laughs> Don't do math, kids. I wasn't even thinking meth. I was thinking like LSD or shrooms or something. I've always kind of wanted to try shrooms. Like to do what? See, that's the thing. You've met me. Everything would become a bad trip. Right. That's why I haven't done anything like that. Because it would just be, I would suddenly think about something and I'd be like, well, this rabbit is going to murder me in my sleep. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, there's a show about a white guy who appropriates ayahuasca culture. Oh God. On Vice called uh, Kentucky Ayahuasca. And it's this white dude who says he's a shaman. I don't like this show because of the appropriative aspect of it, but like he encourages people who have like trauma and stuff to come to his like Kentucky shack and do ayahuasca and like get over their trauma with, he calls the, he calls the hallucinogenic spirit in ayahuasca mother Aya. So it's just a bunch of people getting high in like a, in a Kentucky forest. I mean, that's a really bad plan. If you've seen the show Hellier, um, now I'm afraid. Yeah. So Kentucky Ayahuasca, it's on Vice. I mean, it's a good show. Uh, I don't like that it's a white dude who decided that he was going to appropriate something that indigenous people have been doing for a very, very long time. That is kind of horrifying. It's absolutely terrible. Uh, Do you want to talk about the role of actors and stage's role in society? Yes. We all wear masks. I quit the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It It took 20 minutes. Only 20 minutes? How long have we been recording? It took 15 minutes? I was going to say like 15 minutes. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> I am the Guildenster. <laughs> I told you. God damn it. I'm the one who's like, woo, coin flip, free coins. <laughs> I just... <laughs> and then, wait, what are we doing? Tired and trying to find the objective. <clears throat> I mean, like, you didn't send me the, to the shack for the knife cuts this time, so that's good. No, Mostly because you... we didn't cut any cheese. Yeah, this cheese is too soft to cut. This cheese just exists in the middle of the plate mm-hmm. and is delicious. So the role of actors. Um, we've been using actors as a theme for a while because they can do things that other people can't like embody roles that are strange. Um, you see this whole idea of actors being this weird something in between sacred and profane really starting in ancient Greece. Because even though they were considered to be, like, lower class, they were also considered to be somewhat divine because they could have a certain madness to them that they could be other people, they could be gods, they could be other genders and stuff like that. And even then, like, the role that theater has in society, like, we use theater as a tool to reflect and help us understand complex things. And, like, we can say that about television as well, but, like, we use TV to help us understand uh, things that might be outside of ourselves and help us gain empathy for scenarios that might not be in our day-to-day lives. My favorite thing about tragedy in that is catharsis. I love catharsis. Catharsis is like my favorite word. Just being able to go see someone else go through it and have feel that sense of release. Mm -hmm. What's interesting too about the actors in this particular play is while you have all these people who feel like they can't escape their fates the actors, when they're not being human beings, like mm-hmm. when they're just being the actors, they can get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, Ophelia may may have made a mistake with Hamlet and he's telling her to go to a nunnery. Poor Alfred is run ragged every time they find somebody who wants to be part of their sexy plays. Like, yes. Yes, he is. 
they the actor gets to get stabbed but still rise back up. Right. Um, where Rosencrantz and Guildenstern don't have that opportunity. They get hung because they're too hanged. hanged. That's right. We talked about this before. We did. Um, because otherwise, you know, they they don't they refuse to take action. Yeah. And they end up dead because of it. And there's also a delicious voyeurism to being an actor. Like, I know I get that with role play sometimes. Of, like, being able to embody someone that's different. And that beautiful voyeuristic escapism mm-hmm. that really comes from being someone different or doing something that is against uh, what you would usually be doing in life. So that's the importance of actors in society and as mentioned the stage uh the greeks definitely thought the theater was incredibly important uh because that's how you can see morally how you should act in certain scenarios at least like the important plays like not the ones where like dudes die because a eagle dropped a tortoise shell on their heads or something like that (laughs) that was how a very famous uh, greek comedy writer died like an eagle dropped a tortoise shell on his head and he died (laughs) mom i don't like your work Right, like, I don't think it was intentional. Oh, speaking of, did I tell you about the grackle incident yesterday? No. I was at a lunch, and I was eating outside, and I saw a grackle take, like, a tiny burger, a slider off of some dude's plate, <laughs> knock it to the ground, and then share it with its with his avian friends. So out here, we have this blackbird, probably about the size of a crow. Called a grackle. Called a grackle. They're incredibly noisy. They're all over their South Texas. You usually see them hanging out on um, electrical poles and telephone poles and stuff like that. Yes. My husband and I refer to them as being at a convention every time. They are. They also really like ATB parking lots. They like McDonald's. They like anything. They like anywhere where they think there might be food. Yeah. Grackles are voracious, but they're smarter than we give them credit for. Like, we tend to think they're stupid. They're not stupid. Mm Mm-mm. Because they're not corvids. Like, they aren't like crows or ravens. They're similar, but not the same. Um, but we tend to think that they're dumb. They're not. <laughs> they're awesome. But yeah. It, but also it, very loud and obnoxious. They're so loud and they poop everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. They poop everywhere. There's a bunch of videos that people put online. They're like, what is happening? Why are there so many birds here? I'm like, this is where the food is. Yep. So there's a shocking amount of philosophy, science, and ethics in this play. Talking about probability and what happens after death and like i was really stunned by how intelligent this play was because i feel like a lot of works try to do this and most don't do it well i think a lot of pieces of media think that they're smarter than they are it's why i don't like the big bang theory because like intelligence isn't the joke like saying a big word or a a theory is not a joke that that does not negate that there needs to be narrative structure here Um, but I was really shocked by how thoughtful and intelligent this play was. And it actually made me think of one of my favorite things in Monty Python, which is, um, the universe song Mm. from from the meaning of life. (laughs) It's one of my favorite, it's honestly one of my favorite things. Uh, and my double favorite is there's a version of it sung by Stephen Hawking. Oh my goodness. There is a Stephen Hawking version where he sings the universe song from Monty Python. Let's see if I can find that. It's it is a balm in this tired and trying times. But I was really shocked, and like it's good science. Like it isn't junk science. It's like it's true. Like there's there is no reason why you should be able to flip a coin 157 times and it all come up heads. Like that physically isn't impossible. Like that, that physically is not impossible. Um, 
and even just their talks about uh deontology and like what and um epistemology like what do we know is what we know like cart um it, it was very very smart and i was shocked so in short if you really like the show um the good place you will probably really like this play as well if you like monty python i think you'll really like awesome. this because monty python's also shockingly intelligent mm-hmm. like it's shockingly intelligent when it's trying to be it isn't always trying to be but when it like i think like meaning of life life of brian like those are shockingly smart i like to sing always look on the bright i do too (laughs) i do too i really i really really love that one usually at work when there's some sort of drama yeah yeah when i'm really really stressed out i have like there's like a five video playlist of like sos i'm too stressed out and I think it's like number, th- I think that song is like number three. All right. So we have some notes on the text as well. All right. So this play is an absurdist existential tragicomedy. We're going to break that down. Yeah. Because that's like three words that for some people might not make sense. Absurdist, reveling or basking in the strange, odd, or hilariously absurd and nonsensical. Uh, so you see that a lot also like with undercutting of serious points. So like. Gildenstern doing his best to say like hey Rosencrantz there's really no reason why you should flip a coin a hundred something times and it always come up and it just being like a don't worry about it everything's fine like that in itself is absurdist because like that should be a big deal like that should be we've broken physics WTF but we're gonna undercut that or how often the oh this might actually go into existentialism as well but how often Rosencrantz and Gildenstern get confused Mm-hmm. of who is who and also how everybody it, who comes across them seems to think one is the other and vice versa so that sounds more um like epistemology or like how do you know what you know is what you know and then um, like descartes which is um i think therefore i am So like that whole like identity stuff is a different type of philosophy than existentialism because existentialists for the most part knew who they were they just didn't know why they were what is happening and why Sorry, I almost had enough credits to have a philosophy minor, but I decided that I wanted to have a job, so. I'm just fascinated by all this. I'm like, please go on. (laughs) Well, it was so funny because, like, I didn't realize in college that, like, I had, I took philosophy almost every semester. Like, almost every semester of college, I took at least one philosophy class. And they're like, you have enough credits to, like, label yourself a philosophy minor. Like, I was in the philosophy honor society. And it's like, I want a job, so no. I would like to be employable. Thank you. What would you do? Was it just like English with a philosophy minor? Yeah, it would be English communication arts with a minor in philosophy. Which I mean, I'd be, I'd be employable, but you know. I was like. That's so soft science. Just, just die, dies in soft science. I have a friend who actually did major in philosophy. I have a few friends that majored yeah. in philosophy. He used to joke that it got him a job at a Whole Foods in Boulder. Oof. Yeah. No, he was, he was, he's cool. He's well, super cool. But. One, one of my friends who majored in philosophy is like a math teacher and then the other is a priest so good places for philosophy majors yeah which brings us into existentialism so the existentialists were a group of philosophers that really questioned existence and like the meaning of life and why we're here and what we're doing here uh some famous existentialists are like uh soren kierkegaard uh, Albert Camus, Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, Nietzsche is technically an existentialist, but I don't like talking about Nietzsche. Nietzsche was kind of really full of himself. 
Not kind of. Was really full of himself. Nietzsche's also, like, I'm gonna go ahead and be real. He's one of those red flags that I have, like, in dating profiles. Oh, when they use that or they say Ayn Rand. Yeah. Yeah. Like, those are, like, I have, like, there's, like, five red flags. That's, like, two of them. And, like, Nietzsche's one and Ayn Rand is another where it's, like, "Mm, you could be a little fascist-y. Because, like, his, Nietzsche's theories in and of himself aren't terrible, uh, Ubermenchy stuff did give us actual fascism. So let's be real. But like him in and of himself wasn't terrible. Just he gets misconstrued a lot. And mm. I mean, that's not his fault. He's dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's toast. Ah, sour, sourdough toast. <laughs> it's so uh, good. Yeah. Like, Keep eating it. Yeah. Like that's not his fault. But um, yeah, Nietzsche, I mean, he technically gets lumped in with the existentialist, but no one likes to invite him to the party because he's a downer. Yeah. Camus was cool, though. Camus was great. I want to read The Stranger for this podcast. You should. I just want an excuse to read it anyway. Do you need an excuse to read Albert Camus? No. Taken from us too soon. Yes, way too soon. The Plague is great, too. Yes. So. Um, But Existentialist, and especially what ties into Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, is that many of the famous Existentialists found comfort in the absurd. So, like, Camus and Kierkegaard did. This idea that nothing makes sense, so why not revel in it a little bit? Like, reading Kierkegaard's work is actually shockingly comfortable. And, like, it's very comforting and nice, and he understands that, like, death is this horrible inevitability, so why not enjoy every moment? Um, He's not as much of a downer as, like, Sartre is. Like, Sartre is a downer, but, like, a cool downer. Sartre is your eat your broccoli uh, existentialist. I like that the eat your broccoli exercise. I mean, he is because like Camus is Camus your drunk uncle. (laughs) Kierkegaard is like your fun, probably gay uncle who isn't ready to be out of the closet. And then Sartre is the like eat your veggies. And then no one invited Nietzsche to the party because no one wants him there. No. No one wants Nietzsche at the party. No, he's the one who drinks the beer, like shotguns the beer and smashes the can on his head and then like breaks something before leaving. He was actually super introverted. Um, There was a time in his life where he saw a horse collapse on the ground and he like embraced the horse and said, I understand you. I feel your pain. So like he was shockingly empathetic and introverted, which is why it's so weird that he was like, be the best man you can be. Like, why he became, like, an army billboard propaganda, I don't know. But, like, he was shockingly, like, thoughtful and introverted. I've never thought about embracing a dead horse. Well, it wasn't dead yet. It did die. But, like, it had collapsed due to exhaustion. He, like, related psychically to that horse. I mean, if I collapse due to exhaustion, is, like, Nietzsche gonna come out of the woods and hug me? I mean, okay, first of all, he's a zombie. So I hope not. I'm Second of all, that's quite a distance. I'm pretty sure he's buried not here. This got really awkward. It did. <laughs> um, so that's your existentialist. Uh, fun fact, in my personal philosophy, I'm a bit of an existentialist. Uh, I'm constantly wondering why we do anything. But I do find some horrible comfort. I'm eating all this bread. And you're fine. It's so good. See, I should have gotten a full loaf. The one time I get a half loaf, we actually eat it all. I should have gotten a full loaf. Um... I'm a bit of an existentialist in my personal life. Uh, If you also want a good example of, like, Kierkegaardian existentialism, uh, the killing joke. Mm. Of all things. Of all things. uh, Because if you can get past the violence against women, it's actually a good, like, Kierkegaardian existentialist argument that, like, 
we're all kind of products of our backgrounds and what we choose to do with it is what matters the most. So this uh, dualism between like Batman and the Joker is, and the idea that we're all kind of like one bad day away from possibly doing something terrible is very like Kierkegaardian and a little bit with a cameo as well. So there you go. There's your, uh, welcome to the philosophy corner with Amanda. There's too much brandy in this cup. <laughs> I like that you get philosophical when there's too much brandy in the cup. I mean, I would do this on my own. I think the brandy helps. Uh, tragic comedy. It's what it says. It's a tragedy with some comedy in it. Almost like a black comedy or a dark comedy. You'll see this a lot in the TV show Black Adder. I love Black Adder. It's so good. Is this just where we talk about British comedy? Yeah, British shows that we really like. British shows that we really like. Uh, but not- Broadchurch, not a tragic comedy. Only a tragedy. <laughs> I was going to mention Sherlock. <laughs> Is Sherlock a tragedy? It is for us. <laughs> and then that uh, Dracula was just a crime against God. Uh, we need to watch episode two. <laughs> I'll do it. If you want us to watch episode two of Moffat's Dracula, let us know in the comments below. I don't know that I can do it. Not today. You want to talk about some meta theater? Meta theater. So this works really, really well in the film as well. But as a play... There are some metatheatrical elements. There's a certain level of awareness and clairvoyance that a lot of the characters have that they shouldn't, mostly the player. Like, he has a lot of clairvoyance that he should not have for being a part of this production. Like, basically standing up and letting himself be stabbed because he knows he's fine. Right, like, it's kind of like a weird audience avatar thing, but you see that a lot like Greek tragedies as well. And also telling them, like, asking uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern if they know much about the play. Right. In the middle of it, and you're going... What? what? Right. I think it works better in the film, but I mean, it's meta theater either way. So yay, meta theater. So you can tell, you can talk about that. Just don't say, wow, it's so meta. If you say that, I will throw a rock at you. A small one, but I will throw a rock at you. I have a lot of rocks in my backyard. I learned that last night. <laughs> okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we went through that. Do you need help? You no, got, I got it? it? Okay. So our cat... Killed a bird last night. Excellent work. So well, your cat. He's not our cat. So I... I well, you can have him. I can't. Um, so I buried him. The, not the cat. <laughs> <laughs> what? I buried the bird. I saw the cat this morning. <laughs> I was like, no, he rose from the dead. Is it like that horrible the cat came back animation? Yes. I was just talking to a friend about that. That horrible late night but the cat came back animation. That, like, this person was just going through such extreme depth, and, like, the person finally died, and then the cat died. It was, oh, God. What? I understand why all, like, 90s kids have anxiety, because our parents just assumed that anything animated was for children, and it was not the case. Oh, I, I just hope that current parents don't put on Archer for their kids. They will. Oh, and Bojack Horseman. Oof. If you want to talk about philosophical... I mean, Bojack is also a great existentialist series. Like, I want to talk about The Killing Joke, but, like, Bojack is also a fantastic existential series. Um, I finished that series not too long ago. I'm still kind of processing and recovering. Yeah, I read your review. It felt like it felt like a lot. It was a lot. I didn't cry, though. I mean, that's good. I've cried. Well, I've cried during, like, every other season. Like, every other season has had at least one episode that made me, like, just cry. I'm trying to bring it back. 
the cheese? Yeah, because it was... It I was, was like, like, Bojack? No, not Bojack. <laughs> like, you're trying to revive the show? I don't think I have that much uh, capabilities. I don't think either of us do, but, um, yeah, usually there's at least, like, one episode per season that makes me just, like, cry, because there's so many episodes of Bojack that feel like you just wrote this, not my life. Like, there are so many episodes that are just like, why are you in my life? Why did you write this, like, physically about me? So I'm interested because we've run only run from the text a little bit in this episode. I think we both re- I think this is what happens when we both like the work. There you go. Which is this is this the most consensus we've had? I think so. Yeah, like I don't hate this. Um also I, I like Stoppard's background, so that's a lot of it too. Yeah. But- I, I will say, and we'll we'll talk about the movie more later. I think I like it as a movie more than I like it as a play though. Like I am gonna be like a dirty millennial. Well trying to read it like straight up mm-hmm. like we did is is a bit hard mm-hmm. it's a little bit like well it's a lot like shakespeare where when you see it performed it makes a lot more sense yeah like i think it, i think it works excellently as a movie i don't think it works very well as a play benedict cumberbatch in the the play though like there there was a version that they have on like pbs.org amazing oh i'm sure like i feel like he did better in that than hamlet but you saw his hamlet no i did I didn't watch the whole thing. I think he was okay. I think I mentioned this when we talked about Hamlet. The only thing that got that got under my skin was the costume design. Was that it looked like everyone was trying to escape a hot luster. <laughs> yeah, everyone just like they were trying to like escape like a burning expressman. <laughs> Is expressman still a thing? Yeah. I can't even remember the last time I went to a mall. Do you want to go to the mall? No. Oh, okay. I tried. I love the mall. I hate the mall. I l- I go to Hot Topic and remember that I'm poor and that I'm 35. And, and that we're old? Mm-hmm. That we're old and poor? I'm like, yeah, Supernatural merch. Wait. I'm sorry, I'm obsessed with this cheese. Are you mad at me? No. Okay. That was at the Supernatural merch. Oh, okay. No, please love the cheese. Thank you, Jake. All right, so we have some questions from the listeners. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, from Jason. From a listener. Who is awesome. Yes. Uh, full disclosure, one of our patrons. Yeah. Who supports us and allows us to buy not one, but two cheeses. And also just a cool guy. Yeah, and also just a cool fucking guy. Um, so question one. Does the absurdity of the play make more sense when compared against the absurdity of Hamlet slash Shakespeare in general? Or can we see from the way that Stoppard wrote the film that absurdity of predetermination is a thing? So let's break that up. I think that it does mimic the absurdity in Hamlet a lot. And if anything, it was nice to kind of have the play slash movie echo a lot of that absurdity in Hamlet, mm-hmm. um, especially in like Hamlet just being like batshit crazy. Sometimes there's like making bird noises and shit like that. <laughs> I was like, OK, I feel that because like that was the, that was the big thing about Hamlet is like, especially as a person like who's been very vocal about having like depression and anxiety, like Hamlet's madness doesn't really seem that mad. He seems like that guy who tries to get off a murder charge by claiming insanity. Right. Like, he seems like he's trying too hard, but, like, really, he's just probably depressed. Like, he's, I mean, I'm not saying he's okay, but, like, I've met way worse people. I've been way worse. Like, his madness, air quotes, was not that crazy to me. But, like, having a dude having a conversation with a chicken, which is also a thing I've done, but, like. But, I mean, sometimes they're talking to you, right? Okay, do you want to know the, my favorite <laughs> quote from psychology? Hmm. If you talk to God, you are praying. If God talks to you, you are a schizophrenic. So you can talk to the chicken. If the chicken ever speaks to you... Well, they don't speak. And see, you've already explained too much. <laughs> I'm going to see myself out. Please don't. Um, 
And then absurdity of predetermination. So we need to probably talk about like predetermination when it comes to death and to almost this Calvinist idea of like predestination and such. So do I need to explain Calvinism? I mean, do we have time to explain Calvinism? John Calvin was a stuck up man who didn't like Catholics. There you go. (laughs) Surprisingly (laughs) succinct. I'm going to make us t-shirts that say I am the guilt and turning I am the risen Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll work wear on that it. tonight. That's what we can wear to our live show. <laughs> I think so John Calvin had this thing called double predestination where it was basically uh, at birth. It's like a horrible lottery that you are determined regardless of what you do in life that you're going to heaven or hell. And a lot of people really hated that because it's like it removes any point of human morality. Like, you could be a quadruple murderer and, like, still end up in heaven because, like, that's how the lottery went. Or you could be, like, an actual saint and still end up in hell. But if we're talking the predetermination as in, like, mortality, then I do think it does a great job of highlighting that absurdity in Rosencrantz. I think, on a whole, the work is way more nihilistic than I expected. Because there's no fanfare or answer. It ends just in death. And I guess that that's true. It is. That's death. But... There's not, you only get those little brief moments of levity and finding comfort in that uh, stopping point that we'll all reach one day in Rosencrantz. Guildenstern wants nothing to do with this, which hashtag same. Part of me wonders too, because there's a lot of argument of whether or not Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead at the beginning of the play. Mm -hmm. And that this is just them reliving the same cycle over and over and over. Like an occurrence at All Creek Bridge? Yes, kind of. Um, and, and it's just the, that concept of maybe the reason the player knows so much is he's been through this over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. So him almost acting more like a grim reaper than a random dude at a time. Okay. I can see that. I mean, that would also explain why, you know, you can, can get heads so many times in a row. Yeah. Second question. Do you believe that predetermination is a thing? Does the play justify this motif well enough, or is it just too absurd? I don't believe predetermination is a thing. Not at all. No. Um, in my personal life, um, I'm a bit of a deist, so I very much care about like what individuals do with their lives. And even though we do all have this you know, ticking time clock over our heads, what we do with that time is up to us. And I think if anything, like, acknowledging that absurdity, that Kierkegaardian absurdity of, like, why do anything while well, you do it to do it, I think is strangely comforting. Because, like, I think I, I think I mentioned this during Dracula. I'm a huge Santaphobe. Uh, but there's this strange comfort in that every moment that you're not dead is a moment you're not dead. So live. And there's a whole portion <laughs> of that in this play, too. Yeah. Where there's the whole conversation, I think it's Rosencrantz who's laying there and talking about how, you know, do you ever think about yourself dead in a coffin and going back and forth and being like, oh, I mean, I I never do it. And uh, and then he just goes on and on and on about like his fear of death. But maybe, you know, if you were alive in the box, it wouldn't be that bad. Right. And it was so funny because like he mentions, uh, certainly there was a moment that you became aware that you were one day going to die and it must have been crushing. And it's like, I remember that moment for me and it was crushing. Uh, 
So that was shocking to me because it's like, I don't remember. And it's like, I remember vividly because it was a crushing moment for me as a, as a youth. Well, what's crazy too is you start having those feelings. And then what gets weirder is when you reach an age where people around you start to die. People who are your age. Yeah. And that can be from an accident. That can be from suicide. That can be from disease. That can be from anything. Mm -hmm. And suddenly realizing, well, you know, I thought I was in my 30s, so I've had forever. And then realizing that that's not the case. Well, and if anything, I think it's almost the opposite. I feel like when it is those kinds of like suicide or accidents, it's almost easier to reinforce that immortality fallacy that young people have. But when it is like something that's more random and capricious, like chronic illness or something, then it is a little bit like, oh, my body's going to fucking quit one day. <laughs> well, it's like I had a really good friend who passed away in January yeah. and it was a brain hemorrhage. Yeah. No signs, no symptoms. It was... One day she was fine. The next day she had a horrible headache. The next day she was on a ventilator. Right. So it's frightening. Oh, it's, it is terrifying. And again, like it is, it's a crushing moment to discover that you will not continue on forever. Because I actually I do disagree with Rosencrantz. I don't think that children have an innate sense of mortality. Why do you think we jumped off of buildings? Like children don't have an innate sense of mortality or of danger we have to be taught that as children oh yeah um i i see that in a day-to-day situation with the stepchild and have to be like no 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 you're not doing that yeah cause that's dangerous that will get you killed right and it's not like a video game where you know you respawn somewhere later with less items like that's it like you you get one shot this opportunity comes once in a lifetime oh my gosh don't do it i already did I, all I, are we going to just have him randomly appear on the podcast inexplicably and do it? No, I hope not. Okay. What is with you summoning people? I mean, they don't never show up. Good. Good. <clears throat> I, okay, I like this question, though. Sure. Is Hamlet a good guy or bad when we look at the way RNG are treated, ultimately leading to their demise, even though they were unwitting pawns in a game of kings? Honestly, I feel like... If Rosencrantz and Guildenstern had stepped up and said, hey, Hamlet, we weren't supposed to go through the mail. Totally get it. Mm -hmm. But your stepdad gave us this letter and it's not good. Mm -hmm. That would have gone a lot farther than we found this letter, put it back, act like we don't know what happened. Right. Because they're supposed to be his friends. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also idiots. That's fair. (laughs) They're also idiots. And... I, I think it's it's one of those things that with Shakespeare again happens a lot that um it's just so stupid that like without that context of knowing like he doesn't like Hamlet thinks that they're in on it and they're obviously not but then not pausing to ask because realistically like, if these are the two people that I grew up with if it's I'll name names if it's you and my friend Carlos and I overhear that like upon reaching I don't know Houston. <laughs> That we're gonna know. be killed in Houston, right. can we not? Right. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a probable place. <laughs> I would just ask you, and even if you, even knowing that you might lie to me, I would hope that as my two friends, that you would be honest or at least like give me a heads up. Like, hey, some shit's about to go down. I don't know if we can help you, but as soon as we land in Houston, there's gonna be some fuckery afoot. Well, my question is, too, Hamlet knows about the letter, right? So why didn't he say something else? 
I don't know. And I also don't remember it ever being an issue of like framing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I, I part of me wonders too, like why what? he didn't just write, "Hey, we're here for an epic vacation." Right, like out of, all, right, out of all the things that he wrote, he didn't have to throw his two friends under the bus. Like that to me is monstrous. Like I don't remember that happening. So all I can think of now is Hamlet being that gif of "I am straight up not having a good time." Right, like I don't remember that happening in a Hamlet. Like they die due to reasons. But it isn't Hamlet throws them under the bus. I thought it was. Was but it? Again, maybe it's just because I've read this play before. Okay. I, I don't, don't know. I don't remember in Hamlet that he was the direct cause. I think he was the indirect cause. But I don't think, like, he threw them under the bus that violently. And why didn't Rosencrantz and Guildenstern go with the pirates, too? Yeah, like, there's just... There, okay, to answer the question, yeah, Hamlet's a bad guy. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's a bad guy. I'm just saying Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's could have actually done something as well. They're idiots. They're idiots. Okay. Sorry. I mean, like, I'm, am I lying? No. We're, don't need us to lie. Like, they're, they're, they're dumb. I'm sorry. We're not dumb. I hope not. I don't think we are. I'm dumb about some stuff. No. That's <laughs> not true. Just knife cuts. <laughs> See? Just knife cuts. I'm going back into the closet as soon as this is, is over. I'm yeah. going to be locked in by Amanda until our next podcast, until I can learn... To do decent knife cuts. Please, I just stopped asking you. <coughs> Sorry? I just stopped asking you to help me with knife cuts. I put you on bread duty. So South Texas is full of pollen. It is. And horrible, horrible things. We have had weather that has gone from 78 degrees to 29 degrees yep. to 50 degrees to 32 degrees. It just, whatever the weather feels like being that day. This is so accurate. Our pollen is everywhere and my neighbors are all mowing their grass right now. So if I'm packing up a lung, that's what it is. For once, I'm not the sick one. Yeah, it's not coronavirus. Oh my God. It's also not the flu. Y'all stop being racist when it comes to coronavirus. Yes, please. Please stop being racist. Like, just just stop being racist. Okay, okay so last question. Final. Yeah. Finally, does RNG hold up considering it is more often referenced in modern media than the original Hamlet? A lot of Shakespearean productions seem to have a modern tilt these days and sometimes get rewritten from different perspectives. Bioshock Infinite, uh, for example. Um, I think it still holds up. I can definitely see how some people might not like this. Like, it, I have a frame of reference for it being that I love British comedy. So, like, if I could just frame this as, like, a very dark episode of Monty Python then it's fine. But like, if you don't have a frame of reference for a lot of this stuff, I think that this holds up a lot less than Hamlet, which you can at least then tie to like the Lion King or something. And I feel like if you haven't read Hamlet, you're going to be real damn confused. Right. Like this one really is hinging on you already knowing Hamlet. Because if you don't know Hamlet, then none of this makes sense. Um, So it's really hinging on you already having some experience with Shakespeare. Um, But I... Mm. I feel like for a certain group, I can see why this has a bit of a cult following. Us being two depressed people. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about death on a regular basis. Right. For fun. Who, right. For fun. For fun. Um, I almost wore my uh, all men are cremated equally. I was wearing mine earlier. Oh, my God. Okay. I was doing, we were cleaning up and I was like, okay, I can't wear this. So I have the Boris Comrade cat sweatshirt, mm-hmm. but it was way too hot to be sweeping. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put this shirt on. I was like. So fancy. Anyway. I almost wore that shirt today, but I changed into my uh, house crest. I almost answered the door in pajamas and a shirt. 
And then I went, no, I'm putting a, I'm taking a shower and putting a dress on. There's nothing wrong with that. I know. But then I'm like, wine mom Tori, and it's weird. I mean, but I've seen wine mom Tori a multiplicity of times. Yes. I'm, I'm trying. Okay. So, Tom Stoppard. Yes. Tom Stoppard is still very much alive. <laughs> and that's not why we're not being, or we're, we're not being disrespectful in this episode. Not because he's alive, but because we actually appreciate his work. But if you are listening. But if you are listening, you're fabulous. Hi. Hi. Big fans. Big fans. So Tom Stoppard was actually born Thomas Strassler. Ooh. Good job. I was like, you're the German person here. You tell me. You're a German speaker. Wait, no. Yeah, you speak some. Or Austrian. Okay, well, they're still German. The thing. Okay. He was born July 3rd. Cancer! Woo! 1937. In Zlin, Czechoslovakia. That was when Czechoslovakia was still a thing. I was about to say, we, we know, we know, we know. <laughs> His family fled Nazi occupation, and he ended up in Britain after the war. His mother and father were non-practicing Jews, but they were at very high risk. During the war, he was actually educated in a boarding school in the Himalayas. The Darjeeling. That's the Darjeeling. He found out years after his parents' death that all of his grandparents had actually died in Nazi death camps. Which is like, whoa, because his family, they did not talk about it. They came to Britain and they were done. Yes. Um, Stoppard's dad died when he was four and his mom remarried a British army major, Kenneth Stoppard, in 1945. So Tom was given the surname in 1946 Mm -hmm. because his stepdad was like a really big influence. Um, He was really big on making Tom as English as possible because he thought being English was the best thing you could possibly be. Yeah. And he also uh, changed... His name, he dropped the Tomas and just went to Tom because he didn't want to, he, he feared persecution and such. Mm-hmm. Hegemony, it strikes again. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stoppard left school at 17 and became a journalist for the Western Daily Press in Bristol. He said he regretted never going to university, but in the journalism business, he was first introduced to theater. Mm-hmm. So his first play, A Walk on Water, later called Enter a Free Man because it was optioned. Um, it was optioned and performed in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So he is responsible for plays like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, Arcadia, which is also incredible, The Coast of Utopia, Every Good Boy Deserves Favor, and also co-writing the screenplays for Shakespeare in Love, which is amazing. Sure. Brazil. Which, which is amazing. Which is also amazing and crazy. And the Russia House, which I haven't seen, but with my obsession with Russia, I probably should. Yes. Although it may have nothing to do with Russia. I don't think it has anything to do with okay. Russia. <clears throat> As of this podcast, he is still alive and well. So if you can hear us, hi. I say that because we did a whole recording for Toni Morrison and then... She died. She passed away a couple months later. And that was like, wait, did we do this? I was there, are we you didn't in, do this, right? Are you inciting that we killed Toni Morrison with our analysis? I hope not. I hope not either. Please, Tom Stopper, don't die. His paper archives are at the Henry Ransom Center at UT Austin. And now we have to go. Road trip. Let's go. Road trip. It's not that far. Austin's like two hours from us with traffic. Two hours? With traffic. Hour and a half. I know. I'm Speed. Okay, fine. I'll speed. Speed and take the tolls. Oh, yeah. I usually don't take the tolls. That's T- why. So you take the tolls. All right. So there are a few versions of this. But we're only going to talk about Gary Oldman. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry in advance, Chris. No, I'm you're sorry. not. I'm sorry. No, you're not. You, so, are, you are not sorry. Gary Oldman is back with Tim Roth. Did he leave? Yeah. Where did he go? He, he was on our podcast very briefly while I talked about... His groinal region. If you don't stop summoning people. <sighs> I wish. Um, so he and Tim Roth and Richard Dreyfus and baby Ian Glenn, who is in uh, Doctor Who and 
a lot of things, including Game of Thrones. He plays little baby Hamlet. He does. And it is the weirdest thing because he's got like no facial hair. He's Who just is he in sweetie. Game of Thrones? He's, um, why can't I think of it? The bear people. Mormont? Yes, he's Mormont. He's uh, the one who's in love with Danny. Oh, God, no. Can you you can see it now, huh? No. I was sitting there watching it going, why do I know who this guy is? And no. Went, oh, it's baby Mormont. Oh, no, I don't support this. <clears throat> I don't support this at all. And then Richard Dreyfus is in this looking way less haggard than in Jaws. But I mean, that's fair in Jaws. He's being chased by a shark and this he's just being chased by existentialism. I mean, that's pretty exhausting. Yeah. Uh, Tim Roth is awesome in this. He is. Although I kept imagining him in um, Reservoir Dogs through the whole time. So he's his gay pirate earring. All right. So Tim Roth and Gary Oldman are incredible in this adaptation. And they are married. Oh, 100%. They, they 100% act like they're married. They are, they are an old married couple. The way that this is performed, if you are reading this in school, 100% I recommend you watch the film. Yeah. Which is weird because normally you'll hear me go, don't watch the movie. The book is better because I'm one of those jerks. I'm not. I, I always say watch the movie. So for this particular case, I am gung-ho. Watch the movie because you can see how it's performed. You can see the inflection. You can see what Tom Stoppard was aiming for. Right, because he directed. So like, he was able to have a lot of say in it. But I also think the way they use like lighting and camera tricks, the way they used vocal performance, like increasing echo, like it really highlighted a lot of those points that made me more abstract when you're just reading it. And you're also able to edit it in a way that you can't do when you're mm-hmm. doing a live performance. So there are, you know, people coming in and out that... Yeah, there's some cool camera tricks in this movie. Oh, heck yeah. Like there's... Just, just watch the movie. Gary Oldman's hot. Or they'll even be... Yes, yes. They'll <laughs> even be filming like um, Roth and Oldman together, like having a conversation, but you can see Hamlet and Polonius in the background. And it's... It, it captures it so much more than reading this in your bed at two in the morning because you need to finish it the night before the podcast and i also think like the humor sticks a lot more because you can see it even though um tori how many uh anachronism moments did i have that i complained about so many i was cracking up i get this text message from amanda about there wouldn't be any tomatoes at this time period because of what was it the the colombian exchange the colombian exchange and i'm like okay I'll, I'll give what is the colombian exchange the colombian exchange is the exchange that happened between the a new world in the old world, thanks to the influence of Christopher Columbus. So there wouldn't have been tomatoes during this time because tomatoes are a new world crop. And we wouldn't have gotten tomatoes until later into the 1500s, into the 1600s. And really they wouldn't be popular anywhere else that wasn't like Spain or Italy, which is why Southern Italy has a thing for tomatoes and Northern Italy doesn't. This also would apply to potatoes as well. This would also apply to potatoes. And then um, I know it's not really in Denmark, but if it's in Denmark, they definitely wouldn't have a fucking tomato. Ding, 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 ding. So, I mean, the Tudor England did have a few. There are some dishes that uh, Henry VIII quite liked with them. And Elizabeth did as well, because at that point, then I'm showing off the bounty of empire and such, but not that many. And she wouldn't have gotten them until much, much later. If we're talking like... 1500s because i was gonna say i think there's a part in like elizabeth golden empire or something mm-hmm. like that where somebody brings her a potato yeah a she, jar, she would get a, potato. a jar in a box yeah she'd get a potato she wouldn't get a tomato until probably like after her death and then you have victoria going i would like a mango 
from India, and I'm trying to explain to her that it's going to be spoiled by the time it gets there. Also, I was upset with the apples. Yes. They would not have had apples, because those would have come from Asia. I was going to say, Russia had a lot of apples. Why the fuck are they importing Russian apples? I don't know. There's apples and cherries, and I'm done. So there was an anachronism counter, because I'm that person. I was kind of excited about it. I feel like we should have just had a whiteboard. I mean, I... I'm very, very sensitive to things like that, unless it's a movie that can kick me out of it, like Django Unchained. Django Unchained is full of historical anachronisms, and I don't care. All right, give me two seconds. I need to see if it's on Amazon Prime, because I need to watch it. Django Unchained? I still haven't watched it. I'm How sorry. I'm still not I'm sorry. It. So, in case you're wondering, as of this recording, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead is available on Prime Video. Mm-hmm. It is available free if you have a Prime subscription. This is not an advertisement for Amazon. It's just the place I found it. I also was able to rent it on a Google Play. Oh. So I was able to rent it for like $2.99. $2.99. I have to give it back. I didn't buy it. I think it was like $10 to buy it, but I rented it. Django Unchained is not available for free on this, but I want to keep looking. Okay. It should be on Hulu, though. And we do share. Yes. We we do share a Hulu. So it should be available on Hulu. If not, I have the DVD. You can just ask me for the DVD. Do you need the login for Amazon so you can watch stuff on Amazon Prime for free? Uh, probably. Okay. So it's not available on Hulu. I lied. I have it on DVD. I would actually love uh, Disney. I will give that to you. Okay. Hi. We're making Um, deals. Don't, don't. Disney didn't hear this. I don't no. know what you're talking about. We don't share a Hulu. We all pay seventy dollars a month. I paid for it two years in advance. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, so we did run away from the book a little bit, but at the at the very fucking end. At the very end, I'm and, incredibly proud of and us. Chris, I tried not to talk about Gary Oldman's genitals again you, for you, you. Okay, I will. In that bath scene, he was great. He's gorgeous. So he, gorgeous when he's like going under the water. He is an immortal vampire. He is an immortal vampire. That's he's, why he got cast in Dracula. Yeah, he's he's very attractive. And also Beethoven. He was not Beethoven, yes. He was. He's, it's kind of ruined Sirius Black for me a little bit, though. Well, then he was also in the Sid and Nancy movie. He was. Oh, my gosh. What is with him uh, playing as like husband to other men? Because like, I think he I think Sirius Black and Remus Lupin are married. I would love that to be a thing. I think it's a thing. Aww. I want to go live in their house. I don't want to live in their house. That sounds awful. Well, I mean, before everybody kind of... Anyway, we're going off into a whole tangent. Yay, tangents! But it's a related tangent. It is a related tangent. But no, like, I'm curious, like, in his filmography, he does seem to be a a second half to several conscious couplings of men. I see you, Gary Oldman. (laughs) Do-do-do. I see you, Gary Oldman. All right. Did we have to read this for school? I did not. This was my first time reading it. I did have to read it for AP English, but I will admit I remembered like none of it. Yeah, I do feel like it's probably easy for this to kind of be like in one ear out the other because it is surprisingly cerebral. Like it's a lot denser than I think I expected. Like I, cause I started reading the book and I had a bit of a hard time with the book, the play, whatever. It, it came in book form. <laughs> it arrived in the form of a book. And I actually had a hard time getting through the book. So I just watched the movie and it was much easier to deal with it as a movie. Um, so I don't think I would have liked this very much in school. It would have been a little bit, I don't want to say too smart, but like just too dense. Yeah, it is pretty dense. I mean, it was even dense for a 12th grade English class. Which it's a little dense. For people who don't live in the U.S., that's like our last year of high school. Yeah. Before we go to university. So. In theory. In theory. Not if everyone you, goes to Not university. everyone goes to university. Um, it's a little more difficult. In the United States, and you have to pay a lot of money for I'm it. I was going to say, it's not necessarily more difficult, it's just expensive. 
Yeah, I, that's that's kind of what I mean by it, because if you can get scholarships, that's great. But it's really hard to get scholarships unless you're exceptional. And now we've made it so difficult for kids to be stand out as exceptional. You basically have to kill yourself to try and get a scholarship. Oof. Oof. Real life. Um, or just do what I did and go to a private university and scholarships won't matter. You'll just be in debt forever. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who have uh, the debt thing forever, and it's it's awful. It's I have awful. I have the debt thing forever. I was lucky to get some scholarships to pay for a part of school, um, and have a an insane grandmother who, like, by the time I was born, was like, "Hey, you guys are gonna start saving money." So. Nope i will I will pay all my debt until I die. So resources we do have a few i use i used wikipedia a lot in this guys i'm sorry it's not your fault um also spark notes spark notes are good obviously the adaptation of the movie or the movie version yes which was great yes it is there is an interview on youtube which i'll put on our website called the hard problem and it was about philosophy Mm -hmm. in regards to this cool Cool. Cool. And I'll try to find the videos that you were talking about as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, also, Crash Course has a philosophy series with Hank instead of John. Really? Yeah. And uh, we'll link that existentialism episode. There's a really, really good existentialism episode. Also, the School of Life has some great uh, existentialist videos. I will have to find them. I'll be your favorite uh, existential professor. Get the glasses. Get the stick. Why do I need a stick? So you can, like, point the things on the blackboard. Oh, because I'm short. Okay. Or a whiteboard. I don't know. I can get you one of those clicker laser pointers. I, I have way too ADD for that. I just have this image of you, like, pointing it into somebody's eye when they're not paying attention to you. Am I Professor Snape? Yes. Okay, but I hope I actually get laid, so. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So our next book. Lord of the Flies. It's kind of a re- reuniting of pain month. Yeah, we're going to read some books that I'm not excited about. Yeah, I'm sorry. We may be able to change the second one. No, we're suffering. I don't want to do it. No, we've already decided. That's true. Because we get to have fun for our live show. Yes, for our live show is fun, so. Which we can't announce yet. Not yet. What we're doing. We can announce the live show. We can't announce what we're doing yet. Uh, So we're reading Lord of the Flies. I'm not excited. Me either. Thankfully, it's short. That doesn't make it okay. And there's a movie. I don't want to see the movie. <sighs> Where do I get a conch shell? Uh, I can buy one. I could just fake it. Go with my hands. Do you want me to buy a shell? No, we're good. Okay, cool. We don't... Sure. Buy Felicia. Okay. We don't, need, <laughs> we don't need a shell. So you can find us all over social media, mm-hmm. which is probably not a good thing, but here we are. Is it? Is it a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. We talked about Gary Oldman on Twitter. Nobody came after you on on the Twitter for the guinea pigs, right? On my Twitter. On your Twitter. Not on our Twitter. Am I allowed to talk about? Don't don't be a dick online. Just should, don't. Should we should we tell the story of me getting <clears throat> guinea pig canceled? If you want to. So I wrote an article on my personal blog about Mason's Cavies, who is a woman and her husband in England who frankly have too many guinea pigs. And I wrote an article about them because I'm a bit of a, I was a bit of a fan. I can say was now. I was a bit of a fan. And I wrote this blog post on my personal blog saying there seems to be a lot of drama around this page um, from all sides. And I just, I kind of left the blog pensive because to me, like you can't have drama with like no cause. Like there has to be a reason behind this. And I was sort of ambiguous because like, if you know anything about my blog, that's just how I am. Like I'm, 
I think the definitives don't exist. So I'm always kind of like playing both sides of the field a little bit. Um, I'm a horrible devil's advocate. I think it's why some people find my, my writing kind of insufferable is that it is kind of like, here's some good and here's some bad. At the end, nothing matters. Make up your own mind and go on with your life. Right. But like, here are my opinions and this is what I feel. And um, this was like months ago. This was about a month ago. And earlier uh, this month, apparently the one behind Mason's Cavies uh, found my blog post and sent her 100 plus thousand fans after me. Um, I handled it about as well as to be expected. I think I was respectful in most of the comments. You were very respectful. Um, because I understand that on the internet, uh, cruelty does not match cruelty. Uh, but that was a fun experience of where I tried to get canceled by a bunch of people that care too much about this. And I'll go ahead and say this. Um, you've proven my point. I said that for a page that says that they don't like drama, they sure do have a lot of drama around them. It was a decision that was made to share my article. You have proven my point. My, my, the, the whole argument that I made, my hat off to you, achieved. Because drama was created when there did not need to be any. I was not cruel. No, and the funny thing is your article was incredibly balanced. Thank you. There was nothing in there that was insulting. Thank you. At all. That's why I was going, wow, there's a lot of backlash for something that was actually pretty complimentary. Right. That wasn't a hate piece. I never say that the guinea pigs don't receive good care. I never say anything negative about the two individuals behind it. I just am honest that there seems to be a lot of drama for something that I don't think should have a lot of drama. And congratulations, you've proven my point. Ding, 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 ding. So I've just, I've been able to take a bit of a step back uh, because at this stage now, it's just kind of funny. It is this absurdist thing. But um, so that was me getting canceled for a little while. I'll still get comments every once in a while. I got one not too long ago. Uh, that was more of just like, you need a lot of attention. And it's like, obviously, <laughs> obviously I need a lot of attention. Clearly. Why do you think I do whatever I do? Of course I need a lot of attention. But um, my favorite was, my favorite comment was, um, you should think about how your words affect people. And I think I was so shocked by that from a bunch of people telling me how terrible I was. It's like, God damn, the internet is a mistake sometimes. We have more technology in our pockets than was used to send Leica into space. Mm-hmm. And we use it to be cruel to each other and to watch cat videos. Cat videos are great. Let's anyway. say, I'm, I don't have anything to say about cat videos. But, um, but it's like, use this use this for intelligence. We do a podcast where we complain about literature, but we also tell you the whole basis of it so you can use that for your education. And we talk about Gary Oldman's dick. I mean, yes, we, we do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. He's attractive. Con convinced. I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go swim in a in a river in Massachusetts to see if he shows up. Please don't. You're gonna get like a brain-eating amoeba or something. No, that's Florida. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs>
Okay, so you can find us on social media to be mad at me about Florida at unfunction- unfortunately unfortunately required- <laughs> unfortunately required reading on Facebook unfortunately rr on Twitter Woo! unfortunately required on Instagram and unfortunately required reading um, you can also email us at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com. go mm-hmm. to our Redbubble um, buy merch if you want I'll be making pair of shirts of uh, so you can decide in your dichotomy who is the Rosencrantz and who is the Guildenstern. If you want to be one of the sponsors of our Wine and Cheese Fund, you can go to anchor.fm slash unfortunately dash required. Yes, we look forward to it. Uh, We're very appreciative to our patrons who allow us to buy not one, but two cheeses. Two cheeses this week, man. Two delicious cheeses. Yes. It's a far cry from a single shot of vodka and a piece of chocolate. I mean, but that was 1984. <laughs> we, could, we could have had more excess, but that would have been uh, <laughs> antithetical to the work. <laughs> True. All right, so grab your copy of Lord of the Fries. Um, Lord of the Lord of the Fries, my favorite. Lord of the Fries is my new favorite. <laughs> um, try not to uh, go out and form a weird colony where you hate each other with rocks. And yeah, also uh, don't pick on asthmatic people. Yeah. No, I don't want to call him Piggy. I want to call him Piggly because of Archer. Piggly too. No, Piggly. All right. I quit the podcast. Uh, for the love of God. And for the love of all that is existential and absurdist, go read a book.